been warned. You scare the kids and cut off your head. In 2000, it was my privilege to go for the first time to Mozambique, southern Africa. And uh, Mozambique is one of the most, uh, is home to one of the most deadly strains of malaria. And so my family doctor prescribed larium the first time I went. And I uh, picked it up at the pharmacy, and there were two pages of contraindications that you had to pay attention to. And among it was nausea and diarrhea and back pain and stomach cramps and baldness. You work the way, you know, why is that funny? <laughs> work your way down the list. There was a psychotic ideation, or psychotic episodes and suicidal ideation. All of that I managed to miss. Until I got back from Mozambique, had to keep taking it for another month. And uh, one of the things it called forth were nightmares. Not normally subject to nightmares, but uh, one particular nightmare, this huge, big, black dog jumped out of nowhere and attacked. And to defend myself, it was one of those interactive dreams, you know, I hauled out and kicked that dog as hard as I could. And the next morning, my wife had a size 11 <laughs> bruise on her thigh. We have all been subjected to the unintentional woundings of loved ones. Worse, as Zechariah says in chapter 13, verse 6, the question, what are these wounds? I got them in the house of my friends. And there wouldn't be one of us here who hasn't been hurt by somebody in church. Sometimes hurt really badly. Worse still, we have a very real and very malicious enemy who seeks very real attack. And it's not just that bad things happen to good people. But do you know what is the most repeated imperative in all of Scripture? Do not be afraid. Sometimes translated, fear not. Over 300 times. That's not an empty admonition. Genesis 14, 20, the first appearance, the Lord says to Abram, I have delivered your enemies into your hands. Next chapter, Fear not, for I am your shield. Genesis 26, do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I shall bless you. Now, we need to know, we need to understand, we have it, need to have it established. Yes, we have a very real enemy. Yes, we are under attack, but our God is for us. And his desire, his commitment, and his will to bless is far greater than the others to curse. 
might you be? Are you cursed? Maybe. Are you blessed in the Lord? Absolutely. The blessing is greater than the curse. I'm going to do my very best to absolutely convince you of that fact this hour. The Greek word for fear is phobos. We get our words phobia from that root. Phobos in its root means to flee, to run. So if I go, boo, some of you will rise up, and there are two kinds of people. Some of you will run, and some of you will fight. And there were two reactions. Some of you rose up and went, what? And some of you, now, some of you may suddenly understand why your marriage is as it is. Because some of you are runners and some of you are fighters. And if that's the case, you have trouble with conflict. If you're both runners, you never deal with conflict. And if you're both fighters, the sparks fly, but you get stuff resolved. I'll just leave that one to you. That's the bonus. You can deal with that one over the pig and uh, knock yourselves out on that one. We can talk about the gift of fear. God has so elegantly, exquisitely designed our bodies that when we get scared, boo, there is an immediate surge of adrenaline. And that prepares us either for flight or for fight. I won't go through the physiology, but there's all sorts of really neat stuff that happens in terms of how the blood flow changes. All our internal organs get cut off and it goes to the extremities, so we're strong enough, legs, arms, to do what needs to get done. Our nostrils flare so that we can take in more oxygen. It's really cool. God did a super job. But that's if you will, for emergency fear. Anxious, unhealthy fear doesn't empower, it debilitates. It paralyzes, it imprisons us. Again, there are forces that pose very real threat to our well-being. Do we have the resources to overcome Certainly the biblical testimony is, in the Lord, yes, we do. Psalm 3, verses 5 and 6, the psalmist says, I lie down and sleep. Presumably, eight hours later, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands drawn up against me on every side. Flip. Forget about the 10,000. Most of us toss and turn all night if we think one person's mad at us. What is the source of this kind of fearlessness that allows the psalmist to sleep with undisturbed peace? Relationship. That intimacy with the Lord. It's reflected again in Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
Just put it on pause for a moment. Why the shadow of death? Why the valley of the shadow of death? I, I think it's because death in the presence of God is not an ultimate reality. It's only a shadow. Shadows aren't really real. In the light of God, death loses its reality, certainly its finality. Well, twenty pound note. On offer. Anybody interested? There you go, mate. But what if as to be able to demonstrate that, uh, oops, the ink came off. <laughs> <laughs> and really, the, the, the paper isn't right at all. And you know those little holographic thingies? They're not on there. Or is that little silver stripey thing? Would you really be interested in a counterfeit note? <laughs> Get you in a whole lot of trouble. Once we know the real thing, and that the real thing isn't a counterfeit, I borrowed it. <laughs> it, it loses its interest. There is a certain freedom that comes with truth. When you understand that pornography is really counterfeit intimacy, that it promises but will never deliver, it loses something of its draw. When you understand that the psychic is really counterfeit prophetic, it becomes really quite hysterical. I mean, if... if, if if the psychic really could read the future, why is it we never read the headline, Psychic Wins Lottery Again? Why don't they pick the numbers? They don't know. It's all a game. John 8, 20, 32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I bless you with a revelation of truth this day under freedom because fear is the perversion the inversion of faith when we're afraid we have faith in our fears it's a twisted confidence a twisted assurance that our fears are real more real than the love of God more real than the faithfulness of God. That our fears are more real and encompassing than God's providential care. Fear is a counterfeit. Worry, anxiety, torment are counterfeits of awe and of reverence and of wonder, of worship. We're made by God to fear. Proverbs 19.23, fear of the Lord is life. He who is full of it will rest untouched by evil. 
this fear of the Lord is this reverent awe and worship. But when that gets distorted, when that gets counterfeited, we're afraid. And when we're afraid, there is no rest. Fear is exhausting. And its opposite is not this rest, but turmoil. Evil comes near, and when we get afraid, we give the devil the worship that he seeks. We give him the attention. Our fear is the corruption, the distortion of what we were made and meant to do, meant to give the Lord. We're giving that attention to him. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, we're to come into the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. We get all wound up. We spit the dummy. We complain and have fits. We've come into the devil's presence. 1 John 4.18 says, in love there is no room for fear. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do, NIV translates the word punishment. The word is kolasin. It usually means torment. It's the word that's used when the soldiers are punching Jesus. It's not so much punishment as it is torment. Just ask, when you're afraid, do you feel like you're being punished or tormented? Most of us would say tormented. Well, Paul writes in Romans 8, 38, I am convinced that there is nothing in death or life, in the realm of spirits or superhuman powers, in the world as it is, the world as it shall be, in the forces of the universe, in heights or depths, nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we are so convinced there is a glorious freedom and a glorious authority. This is one of what was a six-part series on our authority in Christ and spiritual warfare. It was a preaching series that preceded the book. This message is about one-twentieth of the book, Eyes Fixed on Jesus. First time I... Done, I think the second time I'd worked the series, it was in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, well into the series, a woman came up at one of the breaks and thanked me for the teaching. She said, uh, I have a street ministry in downtown Atlanta, a place called Five Points, where five roads come in together. And it's a very, very rough neighborhood. It's where um, the Hells Angels have their um, storefront. And it's also the drug center from which there are tattoo parlors. There are a lot of runaway kids. There are occult stores. And as this woman was handing out sandwiches and offering to pray for these kids, just loving on them, this witch would come out of one of the occult stores and curse this woman up one side and down the other to the place where this poor woman was really, really unhinged. And she said, I was about ready to, uh, to terminate that ministry because I was just so afraid 
so much of the time. But she said, after this weekend, I can't wait to get back to Little Five Points. She said, in her southern drawl, she said, I can't wait till that witch comes out. I'm going to look her in the eye and say, sugar, I'm not the one at risk. <laughs> she got it. She got it gloriously. The authority and the freedom. Folks, we are under attack. But we're not the ones at risk. As long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's why the title, A Sideways Look at Warfare. The demonic, the attack we're under, ought never to have our focused concern. We only give the devil peripheral attention. We ought never, ever to spend more concern, more interest on him than worshiping our risen now, this is not a new problem. Nearly 500 years ago, that great St. Teresa of Avila, just kind of on an offhand, said, I never understand why anybody would cry, the devil, the devil, when with the same breath they could be saying, oh God, oh God. She understood. Really enjoyed playing some golf while I've been here. Thank you, Chris. It was great. I know I played rubbish, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. There's, there's a, I think it was Lee Trevino said, in golf, you never aim where you don't want to go. There's a lot of truth in that. Truth in the spirit. Never focus on where you don't want to land. See, life in the spirit is like riding a bicycle. You can fall off on either side. One error, as C.S. Lewis put it, is to give the devil and his demons too much attention. The other is to give him none at all. Balance. That tension. See, if you give him inordinate attention, things get goofy. You know, if... if, if you toss and turn all night long tonight. You may conclude that the devil is really after you, after this glorious day together, you're under attack and on and on and on. If you have five pieces of meat lover's pizza just before you go to bed, I don't think you ought to blame the devil for tossing and turning all night. And, you know, some of you on the way home may run out of petrol. And you may conclude that that's the devil punishing you for this day. That this is the counterattack. But folks, if you're not paying attention to the fuel gauge, you're not under attack, you're under intelligent. <laughs> okay. Certainly as I travel, it, it doesn't take me long, spiritual discerner. If a church family, a church network has majored on spiritual warfare, I can just smell the fear. Just smell the fear. See it on the faces. 
and everything, everything, there's this vulnerability, and everybody's all really twitchy all the time. Fear is a thief. It steals our peace. It steals our hope. It steals our joy. It steals our confidence. And again, we have a very real enemy who is ultimately the source of all our fears. See, the scriptures won't give the devil focused attention. We really don't know all that some of us would like to know about his origins, where he comes from, what's happened. No, the scriptures focus on Jesus. He's just there peripherally. There's peripheral reference in Jude 6. Remember those angels who were not content to maintain the dominion assigned to them, but abandoned their proper dwelling place. God is holding them bound in darkness with everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. Get the picture? Some angels, bad attitude, kicked out of heaven and bound with everlasting chains. Now, if you will, they're bound in chains. It's not like they can't move. There's this length of chains. There's a distance that they can travel, but then they come to the end of that chain and the Lord says, thus far, no further. When I was 13, I had a paper route and uh, there was one house that had this huge German shepherd that would sit, lie, sleep out on the front porch. Hated going to that house for the first few days because invariably the dog would see me, he'd just come flying off the porch, except he was on this heavy chain. And literally at the end of his chain, there was a path worn in the lawn at the limit of where he could go. So once I got that figured, it was fun going to that house because <laughs> I'd stand there on my side of the path, make sure he had the attention. Then I'd torment the dog <laughs> and then finally fling the paper until <laughs> one day, I start my torment, and this dog comes flying off the porch, and I realize he's not on the chain. <laughs> to this day, I do not know how I made it across the road, across the next yard, and over a six-foot fence without touching anything, <laughs> leaving the dog on the other side. Fortunately, the demonic is bound with everlasting Again, folks, we are not at risk as long as we're on our side of things. If we step into their realm, you understand we've forfeited the covering, the protection, the safety that we have where we're on God's side of things. We step into unrighteousness. We step into uncleanness. There's a vulnerability because we're inside their limited domain. Not so here, but yes, so there. Again, I said that um, Scripture doesn't give evil 
very focused attention. Just listen, if you will, to this list. Names of the different names for Satan. And the different names given to Jesus. Just see if you conclude anything. The name Satan in Hebrew means adversary. Jesus means savior. The devil's called our enemy. Jesus is known as the friend of sinners. Lucifer means bright morning star, but he shines only until the light of the world rises to shine on those who live in darkness. The dragon is defeated by the victorious lamb. Belial, the worthless one, is a pathetic contrast to the one to whom all cry, worthy. The murderer's work is undone by the one who's not only the giver of life, but the resurrection. The father of lies is impotent before the truth. The thief's mission is thwarted by the giver of every good and perfect gift. The deceiver, no match for the revealer. The prince of this world has no authority over the king of kings. The prince of the power of the air must submit to the one who is above all government, authority, power, and dominion. The son of God came to destroy the works of the destroyer the deliverer to save us from the tempter. One's either a child of the heavenly father or the evil one, choosing to live under the authority of either the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, or the God of this passing age. The God of the living or Beelzebub, Lord of the flies. It's really quite polite, literally God of dung. One either worships the Christ, the anointed one, or the antichrist, the unanointed one. Anybody want to just maybe mumble a hallelujah or a <laughs> glory to God or, you know, just a, just a little burp of praise, just, you know. Well, I read philosophy for my first degree, and when I got to seminary, it was very frustrating because seminary didn't expect me to think as hard as I did during my philosophy degree. I was really very bored most of the time. When we were in uh, New Testament 101, plowing the way through the Gospels, we got to the temptation in the wilderness, and and I raised my hand and, and asked, Doesn't the temptation in the wilderness posit a metaphysical dualism that's antithetical to radical Jewish monotheism? And the professor and everyone went, huh? I wasn't trying to be cheeky. I just wanted to know. Doesn't the temptation in the wilderness really pitch Jesus and the devil on a level playing field? And and if you read it for the first time not knowing any better, there's a sense, don't know who's going to win here. Okay, good, okay. Well, with as much as we've covered, who is Satan's equal? 
Michael. Somebody said Michael, one of the archangels. Warrior angel. It's a good answer, but let me challenge you, if I might. Please, it's not Jesus. We, we've, we've come down a few notches. Michael, Gabriel, both of those warrior angels, archangels, have L as part of their name, the last part of their name. Well, you probably know enough Hebrew if you've been around. L in Hebrew is God. So El Shaddai is God Almighty. These archangels have in their very being something of the nature of God. What do you hear in Lucifer? Well, there is a bit of El in Belial. He's the worthless God. And Beelzebub is the God of Pooh. So I would suggest that the God of Pooh is down a notch or two from Michael, the archangel. Now, some of you, depending on your background, bless your hearts, think he's really asking for it. I won't tell you where, I won't tell you who, but I was sitting in on a spiritual warfare. Some of you really like that one, don't you? It's great. A conference on spiritual warfare, and this guy was trying to impress us, impress upon us, rather, the fact that we really are in a spiritual battle. We really are facing far more attack than we're aware of. And I don't, I don't dispute that. I, I won't argue with that. I, I just want to sound a counter note to it. But at one point, he said, I've been accused of seeing a demon behind every bush. That's not true. There are at least two. <laughs> I'm not even going to argue that. Let it stand. Let's just pause it. Okay, two demons, every bush. A third of the angels fell. So how many angels does that make behind every said bush? You know your maths. Well done. Lots of times I get all sorts of answers from two to six, somewhere in there. Two angels behind every bush. One third fell. That means we got four angels. Who's at risk? Not only are we not at risk, this isn't a fair fight. Now, some of you are going, eh, I don't know, that's a little fast and loose. Well, 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. Elisha's having a bit of a lie-in. His servant Gehazi's up early. He's just put on the coffee. He looks out the window, looks out and says, Oh, master, you better get up now. We are surrounded. There are bushes all over this place. Demons, double demons, every one of them. And Elisha opens an eye and he says, Do not be afraid. Those on our side are more than theirs, more than those on theirs. 
I butchered that. Those on our side are more than those on theirs. And then he prays, Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And Gehazi gets to see the hillside covered with this angelic host. (coughs) Well, that doesn't convince you. But the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Luke 22, 47 and following. Jesus turns to the chief priests, the temple guards, and the elders and says, This is your hour when darkness reigns. In terms of the history of the world, the arrest, the betrayal, the crucifixion of Jesus is the moment when spiritual darkness had the exercise of its greatest authority. The hour when darkness reigned. Note, only an hour limited by the Lord who says thus far no further. In the account in Matthew, Matthew 26, 53, blessed Peter has just slashed one of the high priest's servants with his little sword. Jesus turns to him and says, put up your sword. All who take up the sword die by the sword. Do you not suppose that I cannot appeal for help to my father and at once be sent more than 12 legions of angels? Add to that John 18, 3 and 12. Jesus is arrested by a detachment. Now again, we miss it in English. The word detachment in Greek is spera. Spera is a technical military term. A spera is one-tenth of a legion. A legion was 6,000 soldiers. So, against 600 temple guards, armed guards, (coughs) sorry, armed soldiers, plus the temple guard, A scared fisherman draws his machete, it's not a real sword, and he cuts off a guy's ear. And Jesus says, thanks, Peter, love your heart. Don't really need your help. My heavenly Father has 72,000 angels all tooled up, ready to go. All he needs to do is say, sick them, and it's over. But I really appreciate the help. 72,000 thousand angels ready to rescue Jesus if the father had but said go to him boys <coughs> and he heals the ear John 1st John 4:18 in love there is no room for fear perfect love casts out fear fear has to do with torment verb cast out is exactly the same verb that's used of the demonic. Jesus casts out the demonic. But the focus ought never to be on the demonic. Yes, in the name of Jesus, we cast out demons, but the focus is not on the demonic. The focus is a further revelation of love. Love that expels the torment. So, if you will, the issue is not so much getting the fear out as it is getting the love in. The issue ought never to be so much getting the devil out, the demons out, but getting the love in. Get the love in, the demons aren't going to hang around. That was one of the accusations at Toronto Airport Finian. There are demons in the meeting. Okay, but are they coming or going? 
the going, that's good news. That's part of the deliverance. People are set free. The torment's lifted. I was at a large leadership conference several years ago. And it's quite off the cuff. I just asked, how many of you would say you live with a significant fear that robs you of the fullness of life? How many of you would say you live a life of fear? And the hands started to go up. I was astounded. When we were done, 90% of the hands had gone up. I'm not sure that it was unique to that gathering. I think that's far more the rule than the exception. Now, there are some folks who live with phobias, those counterfeit fears. You're scared by a big dog when you're a child, and then forever after you're scared of all dogs, even the little yappy ones that you could kick into Tuesday without a thought. It's just dog, fear. I have a missionary friend who's a scared of spiders. What a bummer. He just he gets in the shower, he sees a, a spider, he just flips. I mean, he gets his sandal and just beats that thing to a pulp, or he, he goes running buck naked right through the house screaming. He's terrified of spiders. Those are surface fears. My, my friend doesn't lie awake at night at 2 o'clock in the morning worried about spiders. It's just when they sort of appear in the shower. I'm, I'm talking about those deep fears that do have us wide awake. 2.23 in the morning. Those tormenting, distorting fears that keep us awake hour upon hour. It's perfect love that casts that fear out. Be it fear of an uncertain future. Be it fear of insufficient finance given the present markets, fear of financial ruin. Can I just put that one on pause for a moment? Jesus doesn't promise us a particular lifestyle. doesn't promise a standard of living. He does promise to be our provider. That he promises to meet our needs if our hearts are set first on his kingdom. That may mean we have to adjust the standard of living we've grown accustomed to. But if we set our hearts first on his kingdom, he is completely faithful to provide. Some of us lie awake afraid of sickness, if not on our for our own for our loved ones, our children's well-being. Some of us are afraid of premature death, death itself. Please, could we knock that one on its head today? Hands up, those of you who know that Jesus loves you.
how many of you know that you don't know of as much love as Jesus loves you with? I just wanted to see if you're paying attention. How many of you know that there is yet more love to be revealed to you? How many of you know you won't know the fullness of that revelation of love until you get to heaven? How many of you know that unless Jesus comes back, you're going to have to die in order to get to know the fullness of that revelation of love? So who's afraid of death? Can we do this again? How many of you know that Jesus really loves you? How many of you know that there's more of the fullness of that love yet to be revealed? How many of you know you're not going to know that till you get to heaven? How many of you know you've got to die in order to get there? How many of you can't wait? <laughs> this isn't just rhetoric for me. 2006, I took my anti-malarial medicine, not larium. I took malarone. It's way better. I got malaria. My host had a stomach flu, so... I thought I'd got the stomach flu from him, so I didn't pay attention to the symptoms for the first four days. And because I didn't, malaria is a blood parasite and it grows exponentially. When I did not show up for breakfast Sunday morning when I was supposed to preach, my host came looking for me and went, uh-oh. My eyes were bright yellow, jaundice. My liver had packed in. Took my temperature, did not show me the thermometer. I was just soaked with sweat. Worst headaches I have headache I have ever had. You, you might as well take a cricket bat and just keep pounding away. That did not in any way come close to the headache. Every joint in my body hurt. Delirium, the whole bit. Fortunately, they had a new drug from China for malaria. Got on it. And three days later, the fever broke. and I got on a plane and flew home. Very good chance. Came pretty close to dying. Yeehaw. Win-win. Lord heals me. I get to do this some more. I love preaching. Hope you can tell. If he doesn't, takes me home. I win. Get to know more of the fullness of love with which I am loved. I love life. I love my golf, love my kids more, love preaching. I can't wait to see God face to face and to know him as I am fully known. Fear of death? What? What were they thinking? I can see some of your faces. Let's try it one more time. You know that Jesus really loves you. You know that there's more of that love to be revealed to you, but you don't get the fullness of that revelation until heaven.
die in order to get to know that. Now, I'm, you know, we're not going to be serving Kool-Aid afterwards, so you don't need to worry about anything getting weird here. But of all people, there ought not to be any fear of death whatsoever. Francis of Assisi said at his deathbed, Brothers, do not cry. Sister Death is calling. She is but a door unto the presence of my Heavenly Father. There are some folks who are afraid of demonic attack, the curse of Satan. number of scriptures. We won't look to them this this afternoon. God promises that a curse without a cause cannot alight, cannot take hold, cannot have effect. In fact, he promises that those who curse us without cause, he'll turn that curse into sevenfold blessing. I've walked through the villages in Mozambique, walked past the witch doctors, and seen on their faces and it's not that there's nobody home. It's just more than one in there. And, and, and they're not happy. They know why I'm there. They know I'm preaching the gospel. They know that by God's grace, people are getting healed and they're losing business. And, and I don't know what they're saying, but I, spirit to spirit, I know they're cursing me. I look at them, I smile. Say, bless you. I'll get on the sat nav and phone out and say, I'm coming under the witch doctor's curse. No, bring it on, pal, because my God's going to turn that curse sevenfold blessing. I can't wait. Some of you are afraid of other people's judgments, what other people think, the criticism, the fault finding. Folks, all of those are phony fears at the end of the day. I know this sounds so North American. I apologize for it at the outset, but I'm going to make you a promise. Money back guarantee. I'm going to suggest a question which if you will engage with your heart of hearts and pray into for the next six months, your life will not be what it is like now six months from now. Simple question. What are you afraid of? You take that before the Lord and you ask him to bring such a revelation of his love that that fear no longer has a hook into you and you will not be the person you are now six months from now. There will be more freedom, more of a glorious authority in the living of your life because that fear has been cast out. People who haven't seen you for six months go, you just get back from holiday? Our destiny as men and women of God is to live fearless lives. Fearing nothing and no one but God. So how do you fight fear? You don't. 
You don't. Like all our spiritual warfare, we fight without looking at our enemy. And this is unlike any earthly fight. It is a supernatural confrontation, and we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How do we fight fear? We worship. Start to get the... Before you lose your breath, sing. Start to sing. Lift high the name of Jesus. Would you stand, please? Put your hands on your heart. Repeat after me. I am convinced. That there is nothing in life or death. That there is nothing in life or death. In the realm of spirits or superhuman powers. In the realm of spirits or superhuman powers. In the world as it is. In the world as it is. In the world as it shall be. In the world as it shall be. In the forces of the universe. In the forces of the universe. In heights or depths. Nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Of this I am convinced. No, no offense, folks, but I'm not sure you convinced me. And it doesn't matter at all whether or not you convince me, but uh, we are waging war here. Some of you, this is, this is cutting pretty close to life and death. For many of you here, we are knocking on its head the fear that has tormented you most of your lives. Can we try this again? I am convinced that there is nothing in life or death in the realm of spirits or superhuman powers in the world as it is in the world as it shall be in the forces of the universe in heights or depths, in heights or depths, nothing in all creation, nothing in all creation, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Of this I am convinced. 